Welcome to episode 606 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard. And I'm Richard Gunther, and this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. Is this two weeks in a row? I can't really tell anymore because it seems like time is flowing by far too quickly that it feels like it's been many weeks since I've last talked to you. Yeah, it it has just been that a lot has happened in the last seven days. That's yeah. that's what's going on. But no, this might be multiple weeks in a row because I was at the beach and we recorded. So right, yeah, yeah, cool. we're we're on a streak. Amazing. All right. Well, we also have listener feedback this week from longtime listener Rob. He sent this in to us at our a, our email address is entertainment two zero at the digital media zone.com. Why don't you let me read this since you have most of the stories for this show. Rob says, how's it going? Gentlemen just wanted to share a public service announcement about my harmony smart control remote. I bought it back in 2017 for 70 bucks with hub. And it's been a cornerstone of my home theater setup since two months ago. It just stopped working. I purchased a pack of, CR2032, those are the coin batteries from Micro Center, and tried three separate ones of the remote, still didn't function. After opening it and checking for failed solder points, wow, <laughs> and not finding any, I made do with the Harmony app, but was never satisfied because without any tactile feedback, feedback, I had to glance at my phone each time to ensure I was hitting the correct button. Right, exactly, exactly. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> <sighs> It wasn't until my garage door opener stopped working and I replaced the battery in it from those same Micro Center ones that I found out all of the coin batteries were bad. (laughs) Absolutely never would have believed it. So just a PSA, public service announcement, that the most likely solution is usually the correct one. I think that's Occam's Razor. Also... Terrible design on this remote for not having at least one button that lights up to let me know the battery was good. Love the show, guys. Thanks. Wow. <laughs> this is hilarious. Like, it's like I feel bad for laughing at Rob. Oh, yeah. But that's hilarious. And I, I don't know that this is Occam's Razor. Like, was an entire package of batteries being bad the most likely answer here i don't think it was yeah maybe not maybe not i don't know but i mean his investigative skills are impressive (laughs) well and how often do garage door opener batteries die like (laughs) (laughs) i was thinking have i ever replaced a garage door i don't know that i have either he could have been waiting years to find this out yeah yeah wow wow that's crazy I I feel bad for you that you went so long without a functioning remote, but I'm very glad that everything is back to normal now. Jeez, for sure. Oh man. I am going to share a tip. Get a battery tester. Mm. I have a battery tester and I make it a habit to test any battery before I use it because I just don't trust that it's going to be good. And who knows how long I've had stuff sitting around, let alone how long it was sitting on a dusty micro center store. So 
<laughs> right. Yeah, the, that pack of batteries might have been sitting in there since like the Clinton administration. And you don't know. I mean, literally at Micro Center, I have bought things that were just coated with dust. Right. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sheesh. Well, we're glad everything is back to normal in your home theater setup, Rob. Indeed. All right. So let's move on to the news this week. And this first one from uh, our friend Dave Zatz. Kind of like this one just surprised the heck out of me. Totally out of left field. Channels DVR, which is software that you can buy a a subscription to and run a DVR on your own equipment. So this is typically software that you would run on an always running PC. You can run it on a NAS. I run it on an NVIDIA Shield TV. Runs on lots of different things. Uh, and it is the software for a DVR that is typically powered by an HD home run TV tuner, typically an over-the-air TV tuner. But I think it probably works with the HD home run prime if you have cable cards still. Yeah, totally does. Okay. Yeah, you would know. You've done that. So that's how everybody uses channels. And we love channels. I, I still use channels. I I know you were using channels, but I don't know if you're still using channels at your new house, Richard. I am not anymore, no. Okay, but we love it. It's it's a great solution. And you can now, instead of using an HD home run as the TV tuner for it, you can use a Tableau DVR. And if you don't know what a Tableau DVR is, we've talked about them a lot in the past, but it's been a while. We probably haven't even talked about Tableau since their news at CES this year. But Tableau is a, a hardware DVR that you can buy. There's there's lots of things like this, but Tableau is one of the, the better ones and, and one of the ones that's still alive, still, still a, a functioning business where you buy the hardware. It's got integrated TV tuners, over-the-air TV tuners. And you plug a hard drive into it and presto, you've got a DVR. And it's sort of similar to the NHD home run in that most of the models, you don't connect directly to your TV. It just sits on your network and you use apps on your streaming devices like your Roku or Apple TV or whatever and watch your DVR content live or recorded through an app that's streamed across your network. So their hardware is very similar already to an HD home run. It Their hardware is a box with a networked over-the-air TV tuner in it. So logically, it makes sense for this to, to, to work. Like, mm-hmm. Obviously, it required a little bit of work on the channel side to make this work, but it just seems so weird. I'm really having a hard time wrapping my head around this as like... Who who even thought to do this and and why? <laughs> well, I imagine if you're the person or people that run channels DVR and you're looking at the road ahead, you may be thinking our lifespan is probably already limited and it's likely even more so limited if you're tied to one piece of hardware mm. from one, you know, not one piece of hardware, but hardware from one manufacturer. Right. And, you know, we, we know 
the folks at Silicon Dust, and it's a good group of people, and they make good tuners and good devices. But we also know that they've had times when they've struggled. And so I think this is channels diversifying and, and basically opening up more options for their customers. Now, the question that I have is, what would Tableau's motivation be for doing this? Because they already own the whole stack. So why would you give control to that front end to a third party unless, again, they want to give their customers more options or they are maybe thinking, oh, well, maybe we want to get out of the app making business or something like that? Well, I don't know for sure that this is something that they worked on with Tableau. How is that possible? Well, I mean, what if they They would reverse engineer it? They would end up in trouble. Why? You don't think Tableau would come (laughs) after them legally if they did that? This still allows Tableau to sell hardware. Sure, but I'm I would bet, I don't know this, but I would bet that it would be against Tableau's terms of service to reverse engineer and tie your like own front end into their device. I just can't imagine them doing that. I can't imagine them not doing that intentionally. So I'm pretty sure that Tableau wasn't involved in this. This, <laughs> if if you poke around at the the announcements in the channels forums, this came from the co-founder of Channels. So, like, this is an official Channels beta release, right? But it looks like he just, yeah, kind of essentially reverse engineered how the the network tuner works for Tableau. So. In in the article that we are are posting to in in our show notes over at the digitalmediazone.com, over at Dave Zatz's website, Dave Zatz does say you you can buy a yearly subscription to channels because channels is not free. It is eight dollars a month or eighty dollars a year. But if you're setting up a brand new channels DVR with the intention of using a Tableau DVR as your hardware. Maybe go month to month. And I think he's right because Tableau maybe. could get angry about this. <laughs> yeah, and maybe, shut this they, down. maybe they aren't happy about it or they're not involved in it. That's That would be crazy to me. I can't imagine they would invest the time and effort to make this work without putting some agreement in place. What's interesting is that Tableau's capabilities have kind of. Uh, uh, gotten degraded over the years. Like yeah. some of the features like commercial skipping and stuff like that has gone away. And that's stuff that you can still do with channels DVR. So it, it, I can see how it could be to Tableau's advantage because it exposes more capabilities for their devices. And like you said, they might sell more devices. I don't know. We're, we're going to have to watch this play out. I'd be interested to see if Dave has any further scoop on how this all came to be because this is fascinating yeah yeah and i while i was the one who earlier in the show made the argument of well it, it does allow tableau to sell more hardware yes 
but it does mean that you're not giving them a subscription fee to use their software. So there's still reason here for Tableau to be upset about this because you, you could just be using the hardware and not pay them any extra money. And you can get this hardware for dirt cheap refurbed. You can get a quad tuner refurbed device for $120 when a new dual tuner HD home run is going to cost you 110 So this could be a, a very cost-effective solution to setting up a channel's DVR. But again, all of this stuff is really complicated. This is for the nerds, right? Because you have to oh, be yeah. able to set up a channel's DVR server totally. in your own house with an always running computer and storage and all of that. Right. And this is one of those things that may, if it's not sanctioned, break one day. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So it, definitely worth checking out. And and channels is already worth checking out. It is really great software. And it's- Really good. And over the air isn't the only option. Uh, Before this, the HD home run was the only option for over the air. But a year or two ago, they uh, added support for using TV everywhere uh, subscriptions, you know, which is like the way that you log into cable channels using your cable credentials. And you can use that to set up those channels inside of Channels DVR, which is another cool way of using Channels DVR. Without having to have a digital tuner like that. Exactly. All right. Well, let's move on to uh, a a completely above board streaming service, and that's Peacock. And Peacock, of course, is the -the over-the-top streaming service from NBC. And they've uh, announced that they are going to add 24-7 live streaming of all local NBC affiliate channels across the entire country of the United States for subscribers of the Peacock Premium Plus tier. So if you have that tier, you are going to be able to just watch your local NBC affiliate, regardless of what's on. If it's your local news, if it's your uh, local sports team, if it's uh, Law & Order, like anything that you would be able to watch over the air, you're going to be able to watch through streaming with Peacock Premium Plus, which for some people who are subscribing to this because they don't want cable and they live in a place where an over-the-air antenna isn't going to work for them, then this could be a really great solution. Yeah particularly if you really want that live TV. Now, as I think about this, though, are what's the biggest use for live TV? News and sports, probably, right? Mm-hmm. So are there sports on NBC anymore? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, they do have, I believe they have a Sunday night NFL football game. Um, NBC, hasn't NBC been the holder of the Olympics for the last few years? Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they would have that. Um, and I think there are some other things. Like I think they they might also have some soccer. They don't have the World Cup this year. Fox has that, but they they do have their fair share of sports. Okay, cool. I think this is smart. It, it's it reminds me a lot of the services that you get through TV anywhere, where if you go to like HGTV Go or whatever the heck they call that now, or Discovery Go or 
whatever the service is, Go, usually it was the online version to catch up and to also stream live. So this kind of brings some of that into these streaming-only services. And this is something CBS has been doing with CBS All Access and Paramount Plus already. Right. It is. And and I do really like this idea. I just don't like the price for for to do this in in Peacock, you have to like I said, you have to use Peacock Premium Plus. Peacock Premium Plus is ten bucks a month or a hundred dollars right. a year. Right. And ten dollar and I know it's not just this, but ten dollars a month for a single twenty four seven live streaming channel seems like a whole lot. And it is more than that. You've obviously got the the other catalog of stuff. But if you're someone who just needs, who just wants NBC to be streamed into their house, $10 a month seems like a lot. I mean, Josh, you're starting to sound like me talking about CBS All Access. Well, exactly. Because it's also 10, it's in the $10 a month plan over there too. Uh, right. You have to be a Paramount Plus premium subscriber. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not surprised by that because that's kind of what's been established already. I have Premium Plus. I don't pay $10 for it. Well, I do pay $10 for it, but I get reimbursed every month $10 for it. Certain credit cards, including some American Express cards, will give you a monthly credit on digital media services. So check if that's something that your card has, because if it does... Uh, one of those qualifying services with Amex is Peacock. That is a really great uh, option that I always forget about. Yeah, that's a good one to remind people of. Yeah. So they're rolling this out now. Uh, If you're interested in this, it is already available in some markets, but not all of them. But it will be available in all 210 markets by the end of November. That's impressive. I mean... Just from an infrastructure perspective, this yeah. is not an easy thing to implement. Right. And that's that's really fast. That's really fast. So this has been in the works for a while. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, a, a quick one. We've been talking a little bit about Netflix launching an ad-supported tier. It is now available. It is just called Netflix Basic with ads. It costs you $6.99 a month if that's the option that you want. We might caution you, though. If you are an Apple TV user... You don't want this yet because it won't work on an Apple TV right now. Richard, you're our Apple guy. What are your theories here on why it doesn't work on Apple TV? Well, Apple doesn't use a basic HTML framework that you could use to build your app like you can use on some other platforms. So you're you're writing specifically for the Apple TV platform. And it needs to conform to certain standards and, of course, be approved by Apple. So it could even just be that they're like still dealing with the negotiating with Apple thing that we often hear about. I am not enormously surprised by this. It does seem like a miss because Apple TV is one of the top streaming devices out there. but. It's going to get fixed. So, you know, just wait a couple months. It'll be out there. This doesn't mean they're not going to get it. it. It's absolutely going to be on Apple TV. There's no way 
this is not going to be on Apple TV. What if the reason it's not there is because Apple is trying to force Netflix Netflix to share some of the ad revenue with them? I don't know that there's precedent for that. I mean, there are plenty of services that you can access on Apple where the way they pay for it is through ads like Rackle and Freevee and Pluto and all of those things. And I'm not aware of any arrangement that required some sort of revenue sharing, like, for example, Roku might do. So I'd be surprised if it's that. I'd be very surprised. Hmm. Well, I, yeah, I, I guess we'll see. I, I think it's a possibility because it's not unprecedented in this industry. Like you said, Roku does this. But it could also just be a, a numbers game. They Netflix was trying to get this ad-supported tier out as quickly as possible. and. And it could be that they thought, well, the people who are most interested in an ad-supported Netflix tier are not the people who are buying the most expensive streaming box. Oh, that's a really good point that I didn't think about. Yeah. 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 So maybe they don't think they're going to get very many subscribers on Apple TVs. So no reason to put that at the front of the the development backlog. (laughs) I mean, if I were them, I would have been prioritizing... Fire TV, Roku, and TVs themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And development for all of those is about the same because they're like all HTML-based platforms. So they don't require a bunch of custom development like an Apple TV does, to go back right. to your original point. All right, well, a-, a couple of stories related to Sling to round out the video news segment this week. The first is a very familiar story, maybe not quite from this service, but it's another story of a price increase on a video subscription service. This time it's Sling TV. Sling TV is the, it's got to still be the most affordable cable TV uh, replacement service, right? Uh, I don't know of any that have been less expensive than Sling TV, at least of, of the mainstream variety. But unfortunately, those prices are going up. There are three different options for paying for Sling TV, three different packages, if you will, and they're all going up by $5 each. So there is Sling Orange, there is Sling Blue, and there is a bundle that is called Sling Orange and Blue. Very cleverly named. Exactly. So Sling Orange and Sling Blue, if you want to buy them individually, which you would only buy one, (laughs) um... It, those are going up to $40 each. The bundle version where you get orange and blue is going up to $55 a month, which still makes it less than all of the competing services. Yep. If you're an existing customer, your price doesn't increase until your next billing cycle on or after December 3rd. If you are a new customer looking to sign up today, well, you get that new price today. I don't, yeah, yeah I, I don't think there's much else to say about that. Like, it's still one of the better values, but as I'm sure you're waiting to jump in on, it's not necessarily the best user experience. Right. Well, exactly. And it's not just because I don't like the UI. It's because it's very limited and unpredictable in what it can do. We've talked about this before, where some channels can be recorded. Some 
cannot. Some channels can be paused. Some cannot. Think about that. You can't even sometimes pause certain <laughs> channels. That's just absurd. Some channels allow you to skip through the commercials after you've recorded it. Some do not. It's it's crazy how inconsistent it is. And this may be how they manage to keep the price down. They may have negotiated or agreed to deals that are more favorable to the providers as opposed to sticking them to specific experience requirements. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good theory. So I, you know, this is not surprising. We're seeing all these go up. It's going to happen again at some point in time, but I don't really have any major problem with this. No, no, it's still, it's still a low cost uh, option. That's probably still a less expensive option than your local cable TV provider. Yeah. Yeah. Now, just the kids that <laughs> listen to us and know about Sling probably only think of Sling as that cool TV streaming service. But you and I, as kind of, you know, elders of the pack here, <laughs> we remember the day where Sling was attached to physical devices. Right. Where you bought Sling boxes and hooked devices into them and then hooked them to the TV. And that intercept then allowed you to watch and control your devices from the road, from a browser, from an app. Those days are no more. Officially, today, the day we are recording, all of the Sling servers or Slingbox devices are getting shut down. It's a sad day. This was revolutionary technology in its time. It really was. And you know, like you you said, you can watch this on an app. Slingbox predated the iPhone. It predated us calling things apps. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I meant on <laughs> a program on your laptop. Right. Or like your Windows mobile phone, or your, your pocket <laughs> PC. Like there were pocket PC applications and stuff. That's how old this was. And yeah. and it used IR blasters. Like people ridicule IR blasters nowadays, but you had to be able to control what channel your cable box was tuned to. Right. right. And we HDMI had... CEC didn't exist. HDMI didn't even <laughs> exist. I know. We we in fact, if I remember correctly, early Slingbox boxes just had left, right, and video. It was composite video it wasn't even component video and right. then they came out with versions that did s video and component video i don't know if they ever went to hdmi they probably couldn't have because the whole point of hdmi is that it's secure and they probably would have been in a lot of trouble now it's also worth mentioning i do remember a lawsuit or two against sling that I believe they were successful in defending, but uh, not surprisingly, letting somebody watch stuff that was on their TV outside of their home was a little bit controversial at the time. Right. But it was revolutionary. It was very cool technology. I remember to this day seeing the amazing Sling booth at an early, early CES I attended well over a decade and a half ago. And it was just, it was, I, I was just amazed by it. It was so cool. So, yeah. 
And and again for this for this uh, article, we are linking back to our friend Dave Zatz, who not only knows a lot about Sling and Slingbox, he worked there. He he was on the team that uh, you know put this thing out into the world. And he's got pictures of him from what's got to be close to 20 years ago. And it's hilarious to see. <laughs> That's awesome. It's so good. All right. Well, goodbye and may you rest in peace, Slingbox. All right. That's it for our video news. No audio news this week. So we're going to jump straight to gaming and really only one major story this week to talk about. And it is not the release of of uh the the latest God of War game on PlayStation 5 but it is still in the PlayStation family and that is that Sony announced the release date and the price for PlayStation VR 2 they f- officially announced PlayStation VR 2 at CES this year and I was blown away the the entire gaming industry was blown away it looked fantastic it looked like a really solid competitor to the high-end VR experience that it's available on PC now. And so, of course, the big question was going to be, how much is this thing going to cost? Because they learned from a lot of the lessons from the first PlayStation VR. This doesn't have a whole bunch of cables to connect it to your PlayStation. It has one cable to connect it. It doesn't require cameras anymore. All of that sensing technology is built into the headset and it has higher resolution displays. It is just more powerful in general. It looks phenomenal. And the people who have gotten to use it early have said it's really, really good. So February 22nd is when you can get your hands on it if you're willing to spend $550. And that $550 does not include the cost of a PlayStation 5, which is also required. Mm. So if you're getting a PlayStation 5 and this, then you're spending $1,050. And a lot of people in the gaming industry are so angry at, at the cost of this. And I just think that if you're mad about the cost of the of the PlayStation VR 2, you're living in a dream world. Like, this is high-end VR hardware, and that isn't cheap. Look at the other systems that are out there. The Valve Index is $1,000 for just the headset. It's twice the cost of this for just the headset. The HTC Vive Pro 2 is $1,400 for just the headset stuff. And both of those require a gaming PC that you're spending at least $2,000 on. So that alone like, should be enough of a reality check for people. But I, I think it's also worth pointing out that the MetaQuest 2, which is a standalone VR headset that is it's good like it's uh, the the fact that is a, it is a standalone device has has allowed more people to experience what VR can be because they don't require uh, an expensive game console or a ridiculously expensive gaming PC but it's not nearly as powerful the the MetaQuest to the, the graphics the experience it's nowhere close to the experience that you're going to get 
from a VR2 or one of these other PC-based solutions. And even the MetaQuest 2 increased its price this year by $100, making the cheapest version $400. And yeah, it's it's 400 bucks and you don't have to buy anything else. You don't have to buy a PlayStation, but the experience is nowhere near what you're going to get with the PlayStation VR 2. So I, I get that people don't want to spend 550 bucks on this thing, but those are your options, man. It, it's, it's a thousand bucks out the door for this and, and a PlayStation five or $3,000 for an equivalent setup on, on a gaming PC. Why are we complaining about this? <laughs> well, I, I do think it is a lot of money and I think people are going to make the comparison, perhaps not knowing the difference in specifications to what they used to be able to buy an Oculus for or what it would now cost to get a MetaQuest and have a hard time justifying that. I argue that we are, well, you know what? I'm not even going to make that argument. I want to ask you, let's say Jen asked you, hey, do you want the new uh, PlayStation VR 2 for Christmas? I got a bonus at work and (laughs) want to get you something really cool. Would you want this? Like, do you feel like it's time yet? Or is one of the reasons that it's so expensive is because it's still kind of early for something of this quality? I I think a lot of people would be like, come on, how can you call it early? Like we've had high-end VR for close to 10 years now, but it does still feel kind of early. <laughs> right? Like there's still and so I, I'm I'm going to put a link in, in the show to another podcast. It's a it's a podcast called Spot on Me by Khalif Adams. It's really good. I recommend if you're a gamer you should listen to to Khalif on Spot on Me. It, it's great. He offers a very different perspective. Um uh because he's black and so he talks about gaming as a black person. Um but he also just knows the gaming industry and he's got a million other in-depth reasons why you should stop complaining about the price of this thing. But the the one thing that I would disagree with him on, and and this is a really minor point, is he talked about how VR is never going to be mainstream. And I don't think I agree with that. I think that eventually we get to the point where VR is pretty common, like maybe almost as common as video game consoles are now. And maybe even replacing them, like all video game consoles are just VR headsets because VR is so cool, but there is still a lot of stuff that needs to be figured out. It still causes motion sickness for a lot of people. And that, so that's still a real problem and it's better on these high end expensive systems because they have uh, faster hardware that can refresh the the displays a whole lot faster which really helps with the with the motion sickness but eventually i think it gets there but i uh, i still think that's at least another 10 years away so if if i think that's true then yeah i guess it is still early days and the 
very pragmatic side of me. Uh, if Jen asked me if I wanted this for Christmas because she just got a bonus, I think I would still say no. Like, I I do kind of want one because it is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> but would I actually want you know my household's money to drop a thousand bucks on this right now? No, but I I very much considered getting the the first PlayStation VR when it eventually went on on sale and stuff a couple of years after that was released because I already had a PlayStation 4 and it would have been fairly inexpensive for me to do it and I still didn't do it because the other problem there is that it's still not every single game like it's not like they release a VR version of every single major game that comes out because right. it just won't work like if you wanted to play Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 in VR you would throw up it within minutes like it just wouldn't work do do these systems allow you to just use your a VR headset as a screen as if you were watching a movie is is that something that's possible with these things I'm not sure if if PlayStation VR does that um but some of the VR systems do absolutely do that where it's basically like you're sitting on a couch with a giant flat screen in front of you and it's just a personal viewing experience. Right. That is a fairly common thing with most VR solutions. Because I'm thinking that that might help with some of the motion sickness as well. For if sure. you're not completely enveloped in the environment and you're focused on what appears to be a fixed position, that may help a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I would think that would help with it a lot. And and there's benefits to that too, right? Like if if I want to play Modern Warfare, but my kids are in the room and I don't want them to see that, <laughs> like right, right. We've talked about that. Set on, is yeah, a good yeah, thing. yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I, I'm excited to see how this does. I'm excited to see how the the launch works out. Um, it, it's you know <laughs> these aren't going to be like flying off the shelves at at this price, but I I think it will do well and. I've I've been saying for years if if you want to experience high end gaming and not spend a bajillion dollars, console based solutions are still the way to do that, and that's true with VR too. Uh, you know, a thousand fifty dollars to do this on a PlayStation is so much less money than doing this on on a gaming computer. All right. Well, that is it for our gaming news and really all of our news for this week. So let's jump into what's going on in our entertainment centers. Well, for me, last week, I believe I posited that with my Google TV seemingly on the fritz, I might just end up going back to Apple TV. And I don't think it was 48 hours later that I had purchased a new Apple TV (laughs) and hooked it up to the main TV in the family room. And which one did you get? Oh, I got the wired one. I am not wiring it, but you need the wired one. You need the one that has the Ethernet port for it to have the thread radio in it. That's what I figured. So I got that. And if you're not familiar with that or what's he talking about or why would I want that, the thread radio is what helps drive the new smart home standard matter. And so this will enable my Apple TV to be a matter whatever they call it. Border router, router is the nerdy phrase for that. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's totally too route, <laughs> too nerdy. Anyway, so I, I bought that and 
you know, the only thing that I really miss is the whole online, like linear TV guide experience built into the overall experience. They they just don't do that. They don't have that in Apple TV. So I have a YouTube TV app, but it is separate from my what to watch list and everything else. And that's a little disappointing because that's something that Google did really, really well with the Google TV experience. But this is what we had started with and we're used to it. I think the thing that's going to be hardest is getting used to that Apple TV remote again because it's really touchy with the, even though it has the buttons with the touch capability, it's easy to accidentally knock off of from what you want to target when you're using the D-pad. Now, I had hoped that Maybe the reason I was having problems with audio sync in YouTube TV, meaning that the lips weren't syncing with the words coming out, was that my Google TV was old and underpowered, as Google TV is known to be, or as the Chromecast with Google TV is known to be. Nope, not that. Still on my highly powered, well-enabled, lots of memory Apple TV still have audio sync issues on YouTube TV. So apparently it's an issue with YouTube TV. And I did some Googling aptly enough. And sure enough, the manufacturer of YouTube TV, Google, confirms that there are problems. Uh, There are sync problems. And I guess it's something that they've been working on but haven't fully fixed yet. So that's a little frustrating. That's crazy to me that that's still an issue. Yeah, I don't get it. Okay. So as far as what I have been watching, I have been watching The Amazing Race, watched the next episode of The White Lotus. It was far less preachy this time and a little bit interesting. They did some character development, so that was cool. I have a friend staying with us this weekend next, probably, and my friend had not yet started to watch Welcome to Wrexham. I said, oh, oh, you, you're going to want to watch this. So while uh, she's been here, she caught up on the first couple episodes. And then I rewatched the next to last episode with her so that we went and watched the next episode, the episode seven together. And I still just thoroughly enjoying the show. I am so excited about this show. I love it. I hope they follow this for several years to see how things end up with this team. This is just an amazingly cool documentary and yet fun, entertaining experience. Also watched another episode of New Amsterdam. Still not caught up on that. Finished season two of the Bob Newhart show. The reason this takes so long, this was back in the day when Seasons of television had 24 episodes (laughs) each. Crazy to think of nowadays. Also, almost caught up on Lord of the Rings. Wow, that has been good. I have really been enjoying it. I am, we're not fully through, we're caught up yet, but um, really, really liking that. And uh, we watched a couple movies. We watched um, Ready Player One. I think I had mentioned that I had started listening to Ready Player One last time, and I finished that. And as soon as I finished it, I'm like, this story was far more 
entailed than what I remember from the movie. I want to watch the movie again. <laughs> so I watched the movie again and enjoyed it. But it, yeah, the book was way better, way better. Went into a lot more detail, of course, as it almost always does. We also watched Uncharted. That's the uh, the movie based on a game, a game series, actually, starring Tom Holland and Marky Mark. And it was good. I will always call I him Marky Mark. I think he goes by Marky Mark. I will anymore. always call him Marky Mark. <laughs> I'm that old. So it was good. I totally enjoyed it. And I hope they make more. I hope they turn this into a franchise because I thought it was entertaining. I don't remember. Did you see this? No. And I've also not played the video games. Well, of course I haven't. Right. Yeah. So, but we we liked it. And then we watched Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. Mm-hmm. Wow. I can't believe I waited so long right? to watch this, Josh. It was so good. This was such a good movie. Such a good movie. I don't know why you don't listen to me when I give my recommendations for Marvel superhero movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you just said it right there. But yeah, it was it was so good. We both loved it. It was great. And it might have given enough momentum that I'm going to be able to get Edward to watch The Eternals, which is the next oof movie to watch. Just skip that one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I, bring coffee something because you're going to fall asleep. It's really not good. <laughs> okay. Maybe I should just watch it myself. Yeah. All right. Well, so I mentioned that I finished Ready Player One. So after finishing that, I uh, I noticed this weekend there was a lot of hubbub on Twitter about Kathy Griffin because Kathy Griffin was apparently mocking Elon Musk and changed her Twitter profile name to be Elon Musk, <laughs> even though it very clearly said underneath Kathy Griffin and started putting out her own who you should vote for tweets, <laughs> which, by the way, can we just take a moment and recognize the craziness of the guy that just bought probably the largest communication platform in the world going and telling everybody, oh, you should vote this way. I mean, it wasn't even disguised like. CNN, MSNBC, and Fox might do, where they're just like rooting for one side or the other. He's saying, no, you should vote for this party or you should vote for the. It was just anyway. I, I so, do feel like I have to point out that Twitter yeah. is not even close to being the largest communication platform. Like Facebook has billions of users and Twitter has a few hundred million. Okay. I think like okay. a couple hundred million. Good. Yeah, that's a good that's a good thing and to remind. And according to Musk himself, like half of them are bots. <laughs> yeah, well, right, right. Well, that's that's a good thing to remind this person who doesn't use Facebook right. about. So uh, I appreciate that uh, level setting. Regardless, but you're, a big microphone. Right. Yes, yes, a big microphone. So anyway, Kathy went on and she was mocking him, and and so he then just unilaterally banned her. Uh, there's more to that story. Look it up. It's entertaining. It involves her dead mother's account. So what <laughs> I ended up doing was selecting one of the Kathy Griffin books that I've wanted to read for a while. So I picked Official Book Club Selection 
which is a book that she cleverly named to try to trick people into reading it. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it is her normal, irreverent, funny self. So I'm enjoying that so far. And then finally, in terms of stuff that we have watched, not surprising. And no, this is not why we didn't record on Tuesday night this week. But not surprising. Last night, I was glued to the television for hours and hours and hours. And it was one of the more fascinating election night return events that I have watched in my adult life. It it was really cool. Yeah. like. It's been a more interesting year because it wasn't a hundred percent what you expected. Like th- th- there was actually some right. possibility of things might go this way, they could go that way, and like that's that's more interesting. When you don't know who's going to win a sporting event, it's more fun to watch. It's much more interesting, yeah. right? No, exactly. Also, uh, and I don't want to get too political here, but this may just be. Well, we already forgot this lesson from last time, so probably not. But this may just be. <laughs> The election that teaches us, don't believe polls. Just don't believe the hype. Go and vote and vote for the candidate that you believe should win. Don't believe the polls. Yeah, I'm not fully on the don't believe the polls thing, but I absolutely agree with you that regardless of what the polls say, you should go and vote your informed opinion. Yes, be informed and then go vote. <laughs> yeah, I did leave that step out. That's important. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do want to go real quick back to the, the, the Twitter thing. The other hilarious slash annoying uh, consequence of, of all of that is now every single notification that I get from Twitter comes from someone who has renamed themselves Elon Musk. <laughs> like all of like everybody has done this now. Everybody has oh. renamed their account Elon Musk. Well, I mean, <sighs> my account says that Richard Gunther is not Elon Musk. <laughs> I wanted to make that really clear. Okay, I'm I'm glad that you uh that that you're helping out your followers that way. Yeah, it's it's good of you. All right. Well, for me, not a super exciting uh, list of, of things for me as usual. Some NHL, uh, some Forza Horizon Five Hot Wheels. That's done. Uh, we we played through all of that, so uh, you won't hear about that until the next uh, DLC drops. For that, we will probably buy it. Um, it sounded really fun, though. It was. It was really fun. And uh, I did finish the campaign. I think I mentioned this last time that I was playing through the campaign of the uh, previous Call of Duty Modern Warfare. They're just good. Like, it's it's playing an action movie. It's playing a kind of dumb action movie. And well, why, why wouldn't I like that? Like, I set it to a fairly easy difficulty right. setting and played through it and enjoyed it. But we also did check out a new show. Uh, we were, well, the three oldest Pollards were, were sitting there um, because the youngest Pollard was at a friend's house and thinking we should watch something. And I said, how about Andor? Because at least the uh, the 14-year-old, <laughs> she likes Star Wars stuff. She is also the one that watched all of The Mandalorian without me. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. So I said, Let, let's check out Andor. Like I've heard it's a little bit grittier or or a little more serious than a lot of the other Star Wars stuff. Have you watched Andor at all? I have not yet. My friend Jenny Josephson, who has a podcast about Star Wars stuff, has highly recommended it and said I should watch this. But 
there's still other stuff I haven't watched. Now, the good thing is that Andor timeline wise is kind of independent of a lot of the other stuff. <laughs> right. So I could watch it and not really mess anything up. Yeah. Well, um, the, like the first 10 minutes involve, um, a strip club and, um, and a, a double homicide. And I'm like, wait, this is, this is Star Wars. That's definitely gritty. Oh, and in a prostitution district. And I'm like, oh, uh, uh, what? <laughs> this is not what I expected. Um, We only watched the first episode. My wife is not at all interested, but she doesn't really care about Star Wars. And even my daughter kind of lost interest, but I was more interested. So this might be one that I end up just watching by myself. It, it did seem pretty interesting. It's definitely more serious uh, than than most st uh, other Star Wars stuff that I've seen. So I I would check out a couple more episodes. I have only heard good things about this. So for what that's worth. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I'll make some time to watch a little bit more of it. All right. Well, that is it for what's going on in both of our entertainment centers. Uh, so uh, we invite you to connect with us on Twitter while you still can before it ends up behind a paywall or some other craziness that Elon Musk might do to the platform. Richard is at Richard Gunther. I'm at Josh Pollard and the website is at Digimedia Zone. All of our show notes are over at the website, www.thedigitalmediazone.com. Uh, and once we get back to doing the live show thing, you'll be able to get that also uh, regularly Tuesday or Wednesday nights around 830 p.m. Eastern, but life has been hard. Allergies have been hard. No one wants to watch us do this show when we're both regularly muting and stuff to cough because of coughing allergies. and red scratchy <laughs> eyes. It's just not, it's not right. attractive. Right. I mean, we already had faces for radio. Uh, you don't want to see <laughs> it when it's in an even worse situation. So uh, hopefully be back soon with that, but that is going to do it for episode 606 He's Richard Gunther, and I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios. Goodbye.